Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Happy Friday, Becky. What's up? Hey, John. Good to see you. Thanks for coming back, everybody. We're glad you're here. Yeah, we are so excited. We're kicking off a little mini series here. We're going to take it over. You know, we just got back from the Responsive Nonprofit Summit presented by Virtuous. And guys, we've got like the fullest hearts from that experience. I got to tell you, the people that converged, the topics that were covered, and just the good vibes were so high that we're like, how can we bring this to the podcast? Because you know, there was more than 2000 people that joined us, but we want to really lift these conversations because the stuff that was talked about, we believe is game changing and meets the moment. And so we're calling this little series called build back better. And we're going to uncover over the next couple of weeks, how to build a better culture, how to build better boards, how to build better storytelling and how to tap into giving circles, which is this really beautiful way that philanthropy and community are converging. So we want to jump in today with our first conversation. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about how do you build better cultures. And I want to introduce you to our panelists just really quickly because they are really the game changers about how do you build the right culture to become a magnetic organization. And the first person who joined our panel and all of these people have been on the podcast. We adore them. Ted Vaughn, he's the co-founder of Historic Agency, wrote the co-authored that great book, Culture Built My Brand. And the way that Ted thinks about culture is just so instructive and empowering. And we love how he looks at brands and how brands are a reflection of that culture and how to build the brand from the inside out. And the second person we had on was our dear friend, Sarah Cunningham. She's the founder of Free Mom Hugs. She's just an author and activist. She is the queen of loving on people. And we just love how much she has gathered a global community of parents and advocates for the LGBTQ community who are really fighting for human rights for all. And the third person we had who is coming on the podcast soon, I said, everybody, but this one is about to come on the podcast, is an incredible force for good, Luana Kimbrough. She's the managing director of the Stardust Fund, and she is just a brilliant, evolved thought leader on leadership experiences within social service agencies. She is an empowerer. And when she talks, I can assure you, we listen. And the last person who was on our panel was the incredible, incomparable Isla Malik. She's the founder and principal at Venture Leadership Consulting. And even though she's a lawyer by schooling, she's just spent her life kind of leading organizations through change. She does it through empowerment at the bottom of the base, which you know is where we love to stay and empowers all the way to the top. So we hope this conversation really awakens something in you to really power that culture into your organization, do an audit and figure out ways that we can really build cultures back that value everybody equally. Ted, I would love for you to set tone and let's just talk about why culture. Like, why has it become this important topic? You have poured a lot of your work and your effort and your thought leadership into this. Why start there and kind of set the tone for us? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we have to start with what culture is because no matter what you call it, company culture, organizational culture, workplace culture, it's a really blurry term and it's frequently used, but rarely, I think, truly understood. So it's hard to change something that's blurry and not understood and yet used so often. So I define culture in the work of our agency as how organizations do things. Super simple. Aristotle said we are what we repeatedly do. So if you want to know what your company culture is, ultimately you want to look at how your people, your employees, your stakeholders behave, especially senior leadership, because that's where you'll find the real beliefs and values that drive your organization forward. Oh, Ted, you're so wise. And I and I just really want to push everybody to try and, and go check out the Culture Built My Brand book. We've had an entire podcast episode on this, and it will change and rewire the way that you think about culture and how it's integrated, not from the top down, but really from the bottom up. So thank you, Ted, for that. And I just want to tell our panelists, if you have anything that you want to add to this, just jump in here because your voices are so important. But I got to kick it to Luana. Luana, one of the things we love so much about you is the way that you show up and you are incredibly inclusive and you really work on that DEI mentality. And it's not just um, the diversity of our, our um, you know, backgrounds and thoughts. It's, it's a complete look at how we're integrating everything that we know and do into the culture of our work. So I want you to kind of talk a little bit about this phrase, culture fit. And I know we've all heard that in our positions and there's a problem with that. And it's really creating some biases. So talk a little bit about that word and how we can start to break that down and define it so that it brings more inclusive cultures into our organizations. Absolutely. And I hope you can feel through the screen that I'm levitating with joy uh, to be here today. I'm I'm very excited to talk about this topic because I think it's the most fixable, changeable thing in our organizations. There's nothing about our organizations that are inevitable. That's the good news. And so I, I want to say just a little something about culture fit by way of an example. And, I, and I, I'm going to use some levity first. Uh, coming to this great panel that we were all excited for, we were given some di- facilitation directions like no bright colors. <laughs> and I will tell you, I met that uh, I met that directive by wearing detail and birds. Right. So that lets you know. <laughs> what I feel about fit and that these spaces deserve sort of the illumination of teal and birds, but I I want to be a little bit more serious. So you you gave a great, really amazing preamble about the work that I do, but I I also want to give an example of how we have grappled inside of Stardust with this question you've put to us. Um, And I will say I have the privilege of working with a luminary who's an artist and an abolitionist, and I couldn't be more different, right? I'm a civil rights uh, attorney and a mental health counselor from the Deep South. And and a part of when we're thinking about the types of um, teams that we need to pull together for our audacious vision, we have to think about who's in the room and who's not and why. And we cannot be afraid of those answers. A lot of times when we think about, you know, how we build equitable futures, we have to 
uh, make sure that we are bringing in to our audacious mission um, people who are reflective of the communities that we serve. And so you're absolutely right to say it's not just about demographics. It's not just that I am a, a Black woman from impacted community, right? She, when she was thinking about assembling her team, she, she also thought, what are their perspectives do I need the table? And I'll give you just a quick example, but you shouldn't trust as quick. I'm a black woman from the South, so we speak in sermons. <laughs> you go. <laughs> but, a, <laughs> but a quick example is, you know, so I get to do a philanthropy as an attorney. She could have found a career philanthropist, but she said, I want a scrappy civil rights attorney who's been in community and in bureaucracies. And she didn't stop there. I get to work really closely with my colleagues who do impact investing. And the reason why I get to be at that table and have a vote is that they want also diversity of ideas and opinions. And what I will present to you today, we don't get to build the futures we care about with the same game plans, right? And so we need to be stretching ourselves constantly around our mission and around the coalition we think can get us there. Okay, Luana, we love you. This, thank you so much for that tone setting because I heard you say fear, and I think that's a real thing, that there's fear. I think it takes a special kind of leader to be able to lean into this type of change. And I'm so excited because Isla Malik is here, and I want to kick her a question because she works with leaders on the front line. She's oftentimes a leader on the front lines. And so I want to kick it to you, Isla, to say, you know, how can leaders more intentionally shape this? How can they show up and ask those tough questions and kind of take us to that place? So I, this is the first time I thank you guys for having me here. I will do anything. I always say I'll do anything that John and Becky pull me into. I'm saying yes, but always John and Becky, I'm going to say yes. Um, and Julia, because they're amazing. Um, and you panelists, Ted, Sarah, Luana, I, I think this is, I feel like we're such kinship and I haven't even met you guys. I fully just want to double click on Ted's opening comment on normed behavior. A culture is, is understood and experienced by the behaviors that are normed by that up and down bottom organization or that entity. And I want to double click on Luana of who's not in the room and why, what intentionality of who you've assembled and how, and the diversity of thought that she mentioned. Um, you know, diversity is great in all aspects because it builds a better mousetrap when you have different folks in the room, different perspectives, different ideologies, different everything, right? And one really great tool um, that that I have learned in practice is called Foresights. If you guys have heard of it, it's a F-O-U-R-S-I-G-H-T. Um, and it's basically a little, you know, I love assessments because it's about, you know, one of your questions, John, is around like, what do we do as leaders to intentionally bring an uplift culture? Um, and part of that is our own learning and learning about ourselves and our teams. And, and it's not navel gazing. It's intentional building and intentional understanding that we are not all going to be perfect. And that's not the goal. It's to understand where are our limitations? How do we work together as a team? And so Foresights is a cool tool. Um, that is that looks at where are the default areas for creation and innovation, ideators, implementers, you know, where, how does your brain naturally think at project design? And so it's another way to bring inclusivity to the space that I just wanted to double click on from what Luana said. Um, from my perspective, um, the intent that leaders have, I'm going to say four things and I'll be, I'll be quick about them so we can kind of move on. If I, if I, if I riff off of Ted and Luana, um, 
And, and I fully believe that cultural fit is basically code now for a likeness and bias around likeness. It, it hides a lot. Right. And so and so if I believe all that, which is my bias, then what a leader can do is bring intentionality from the mission. What is the vision and the mission and the impact that you seek to have in the world and understand that that vision and mission is not going to revolve around one person and it's not going to be fixed in one person's career lifetime. So it's going to require if you're serious about eliminating racism or you're serious about addressing equity and injustice, then you absolutely need to create a mechanism in which your mission lives on Zoom room to Zoom room until the task is done. And so your validation as a leader comes not from what you do or how difficult it is for you to walk away or how much you're missed. You got to check your ego and validation structure to be, can other people almost perform the work without me? Can they say, yeah, Isla, thanks for your input, but I actually didn't need it. Are are things revving without you? That is where you get your validation. And it's an unseen place as a leader. So you got to find your ways to self-validate and your people to keep you honest and keep you whole and keep you seen. Um, But I would say, I would say, check yourself as a leader and do the work. I would say number two is create transparency and clarity within your organization. So what are, what is your role? My, My stance when I lead is nobody is ahead of the mission not the CEO, not the board, not anybody. Our, our, our loyalty is to the mission and to the community impact that we seek to have. And so here's the role I'm going to play, and I need to be evaluated for that role. Accountability evaluation is important. Um, and what we need to know is what has to be true for that role to be successful. So be very clear and transparent on what the role and expectations are. How do you achieve those things? How are we evaluating those things? So it's not clouded in, I like you, or I don't like you, or you, or your lead like me, or you're extroverted like me. It's not that. It's what is what are the metrics of success and performance, and how is it that we um, are transparent about our accountability? Um, third, I would say um, make time to build um, to build connection with each other. We're humans, and it's been hard in a pandemic year, and there's a lot going on in the world, and so make time to play um, and have shared experiences. Um, play hard, work hard. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is look at your rituals as an organization. Um, To me, if normed behavior is how we how we create culture or how we experience culture, then the rituals when someone comes, when someone leaves, um, when there's a client death, when there's a community catastrophe, are there rituals around those things? The ways that you are there, I've been to staff meetings where people are passing around totems and right, like what are the rituals of your organization? Because that will help elevate the cultural tenets that and the values that you want to have. If your if your culture is one of um, you know, of of community building and mentorship, then rituals around appreciation of, of, you know, hey, you're my, you're my collegial mentor day and anonymous postcard caught you being cool. Those might be cool rituals that help reinforce the values um, and the culture that you want to see. So I'll stop there. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. 
Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level, but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. I mean, our panelists are just fire today. And I, and I want to give everybody a free mom hug as I'm like about to talk to Sarah. If you are someone who's, who's used the phrase cultural fit, if you're someone who is thinking about these things that our panelists are talking about and you're feeling guilt, don't. This is a new era. This is a new moment that we're leaning into right now. And the place to start is now. The fact that you're here tells us that you care about these things, that you want to be building in community and with empathy. And I just have to say, I think it feels better when we do this. And so, and two things I want to lift that I'm starting to hear percolating that I want to make sure nobody misses is this concept of bravery and kind of getting out of our own scarcity mindsets, which we all struggle with in nonprofit. We are looking for brave, not only leaders, but staff to lift these problems. I think creativity, Isla, and innovation is brilliant. And that's something that, again, is going to help us scale and it's going to bring us together. And so I'm going to kick it over to Sarah. Hello, sweet Sarah. We really want to talk about the importance of community and culture, because I think a common misconception is that people think that the culture is right here in our physical building. It's our little staff around us. And it's so much bigger than that. And the reason we want to ask you this question is because you have done an incredible, beautiful job with your grassroots organization, Free Mom Hugs, to build global community around the world. And I would love for you to talk about what it means to have community as a part of your culture and how it's actually amplified your mission, amplified your values. And I would love for you and anyone else to jump in here on this topic. Thank you for the invitation. I've already gleaned so much. I mean, when Ted said what he did, I said, we can all go home now, right? I'm going to be watching this and rewatching it for a long time because I'm new to the arena of uh, a national nonprofit being staff, founder, board member, and trying to balance all of that by staying true to the mission and within our scope. So all of this is a new arena for me, but I think in the way that I've I've been able to balance that is it allows me a space to ask the questions, well, why do we do it this way? How come, you know, can we really have too many care packages? Or, you know, like, 
you just look at it's as it as it's not a competition between nonprofits. It is really a new day where we can look at and learn from each other and serve the world around us together. So I do believe in community. I believe that people learn from other people and by getting outside of the bubbles. Uh, for example, I was in one bubble, but I have to be careful not to put myself in another bubble. I still need to play that balance, stay approachable, learn. Um, it's all about communicating, uh, embracing leadership, understanding your role, and trusting people who share the same vision. We have moms all over the world who have a heart just like mine, and we reflect each other. And nobody wants to recreate the wheel when it comes to pouring into the community. And what California needs might be different than Arkansas. So it's being flexible in that way, but staying true to the mission. And that's serving for free mom hugs. It's serving the community and their families. And um, with love and education, it's a win-win. I mean, and Sarah, you live this out so beautifully. I know we have felt wrapped in your hugs just in our friendship with you. And so thank you for that. Um, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because you are living this out loud. But I do feel like this conversation, like I just feel this like it's a new day. You know, I love that we're able to have this conversation on the main stage. We're stepping into this new unknown. But I want to go in because we realize a lot of us are still facing in our own organization some maybe unhealthy organizational culture. And I kind of want to talk about how do we start to get out of that? Like, what are the tough conversations to have? What is the next step? And I'm going to kick it to you, Ted, and then anyone can jump in here. Um, mm. Where do you start? What are the symptoms that you're seeing? Wow. Well, it's a huge topic. You know, I think, I think one thing I wanted to say to piggyback on the earlier question and comments, you know, why is this topic so important? Why, why is it just now getting kind of a national attention, getting a, a, a forefront? And I, I think, you know, the more work I've done, I think there are two primary reasons. One, I think the consumers and donors of today have been burned by brands that sold one thing and did another. So that betrayal uh, has elevated values of trust, honesty, and authenticity to new levels of importance. And I think any brand, nonprofit or otherwise, that doesn't see that is going gonna, is gonna to lose the game. And I think also in today's fast-moving world, um, where speed and innovation are crucial competencies for survival, if you don't have a culture that allows people to take risks and fail forward, you're, you're not going to keep up. So, yes. um, you know, yes. my analysis is is those are the primary drivers for this conversation being so important. Ted, Where can do I, you? Oh, yeah, can please. I add one though to that? I, I double click on what you're saying and just say that like. If you if you believe that your mission is going to need one or two generations or three or four generations of career dedicated career professionals, then for me, the other big why is about a culture of succession. Succession isn't about a plan. It's about a way of being and normed behavior so that when the leaders and people change decks, the culture holds and invites that same normed behavior that arguably is for the success of your, your, your mission and your impact to continue. And so for me, the other big why is like, if you don't have strong culture that is tied to your impact and tied to your metrics and your outcomes, then you're at risk for having over dependence on a leader savior or a couple leaders that then really put your mission at risk. So I think I just add that like, it's imperative to the outcome that in the, in the problem that you're trying to end. 
Mm-hmm. And great, great I'd like point. to jump in to, to sort of ground it from the esoteric to the actionable. And I, I, I just want to, we could be double clicking all day because I co-sign everything that's been said before. <laughs> but I also want to, as we are hopeful about how we can change culture, I want to also flag some things we should pay attention to and have caution around. Oftentimes when we think about like equity and inclusion, we make that sometimes the burden of the most marginalized. And we want to take care not to do that anymore, right? Not just because it is undue emotional labor and oftentimes uncompensated labor. It is also counter the notion that we all should be carrying the water, right? And so when we have the the lone Lawana have to think through racial equity, we're sending a message both internally and externally that it's only her issue to solve and that Mm. the rest of us are not invested in it. Right. And so we want to take caution because a lot of times what sprouts up are really thoughtful things like councils and positions dedicated. But we want to make sure we don't make something ancillary or optional when it should be integral. And I would argue the best way you do that is by integrating development and culture into systems of supervision and management. In my opinion, supervision and management are the front lines of leadership development, which is where you shape culture intentionally. Starbucks cards, shared leadership book reading, occasional retreats and scavenger hunts, uh, those are fantastic. But if the systems of supervision and management don't embrace and prioritize leadership development, prioritize culture, prioritize what it means to have vulnerability and appropriate transparency to build trust for the sake of the mission, everything else is fluff, right? So I, you know, our, our model, when we coach organizations on how to be more intentional about brand and culture fusion, often begins and ends with supervision. Because if you can get those systems and structures right, you can move the needle in amazing ways and never do a scavenger hunt or a trust fall or, or a retreat. Those are helpful, but if you blow it in supervision and management, I think you're missing a huge opportunity. Okay, okay. I, I know double click is an overused phrase, but but <laughs> we're gonna double click. click, triple click, super click on everything y'all are saying. Let, can I? But I'm gonna riff on further. So, like for me, when I go, so I, you know, Becky and John mentioned it. My job is to actually, I, I was a leader in the sector in the juvenile justice space for 14 years, and then now I'm a professional CEO that goes in, does a turnaround artistry, um, helps on strategic vision and exits. You know, average length of stay. Is year, year and a half. So I've gotten to see a lot of cultures and a lot of executive teams and a lot of supervisors, um, 150 over seven years. And what I'll say is um, what I see as a through line is organizations, particularly leaders that have um, an unexplored relationship to conflict. And I'm going to put an asterisk on that, an unexplored relationship to conflict, struggle with a lot of what we've all talked about. Sarah, what you talked about in terms of um, community adaptations and leaning into community or what Luana talks about in terms of inclusivity and equity or whose job is it, a lot of that stemmed. And then what you're talking about, Ted, around supervision and you know how clear and direct are we? What is our intention in a one-on-one supervision conversation? A lot of that is around what is our capacity to hold space for uncomfortable conversation that is that is for you, that may be uncomfortable for you. And so what I see a lot is, and this, I'm, I'm not judging because I come from, my, I have had to spend years on this for myself to understand that conflict can be a vehicle to deepen relationships 
relationship and deepen understanding. And conflict can be as simple as making a decision to having a full-on brawl, right? Like conflict is about a point in which you're saying, if, if you're a people pleaser like me by childhood, then a conflict for me is saying no. Um, and that's inherent in every decision. And so being aware of, well, what is my default conflict style? How do I reposition myself with intention to have an innovative collaborative conversation? How do I hold true to the mission and my role to get through and use the conflict to deepen our understanding, our team performance, our, our clarity on giving feedback, understanding and expressing that my intention of sharing areas of concern is actually because I believe in our ability to deepen the work and the team, right? So I really think, and, and just a tangible piece there, um, uh, TKI, what does it stand for, you guys? The, the same Meyer Briggs, Thomas Kilman, TKI. Um, if you Google that, they have a conflict modes assessment. I'm going to be the assessment girl today. Um, conflict modes assessment, it's 30 bucks. Um, I would do it with your teams. And it basically, these are all flat. I don't believe in like assessments being all defining. I believe in it provoking conversation and thought for new frameworks of stepping into your leadership and power with intention. And so, you know, try a conflict mode, see what your natural default is. What will it take you to move into another way of being in a conflict with someone or at, in a conflict with yourself on decision? And if, if people can 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 normalize that it's okay to have hard conversations and just hold space and not rescue each other from a workload, not rescue each other from emotional despair, but just hold space for honesty, um, then we can do a lot with supervision. We can do a lot with uh, norming departures and onboarding people and creating cultures that are healthy. But unhealthy cultures, usually there's a very strong influencer who has a challenge with um, their relationship to conflict. Okay, that entire thread was fire. And I, I would encourage anyone to go back, rewind 10 minutes if you're watching this after this has been pre-recorded. And think about that because raise your hand if you were today years old when you thought of conflict as a positive thing. I mean, when your growth mindset enough, you can look at conflict as something that you can build forward from. To Ted's point earlier, we're failing forward in this. This is heart work. This is not just, you know, conversations that we're having that are leading to the financial goal in our organizations. We want healthy cultures where we care about each other, where our donors feel cared for, where our staff feel cared for, where our community feels cared for. I love this comment that Les put in to the chat that says, conflict can and must be a pathway to intimacy. That is so profound. I need that put on a shirt or a coffee wow. mug, something for us. Yeah. But I think, you know, Isla, one of the things that I just love about you and the first time we ever visited with you on the podcast, and you talk about one of the first things you do when you go into an organization as an ED is you go in and you don't do anything but listen to the staff. And that level of empowerment, the shift in the power dynamics there sends a positive culture wave. And I think that is a great pro tip. And if you're someone who struggles with conflict management, I would give you a pro tip of before you go into that conversation, especially if you're trepidatious, you know, think about your values. Go back to your values. 
why does this conversation have to meld with those values and uplift them? And if we're all on board and connected to those values, it makes the conversation easier. So I want to transition a little bit into what I think is a little bit of the 300 pound gorilla in the room as we talk about culture and it's mental health. And I want to talk about the mental health of our staff and our teams and the mental health of our cultures. And before I do, I want to like, has anyone listened to Dare to Lead, the Dare to Lead podcast with Brene Brown? She just had an incredible conversation with uh, Dr. Donald and Charlie Soule about this incredible um, report that's coming out, I think next month, uh, that they did a year's worth of analysis on toxic cultures. And the thing that stuck with me out of this incredible hour conversation, I would encourage you to go check it out, is they said that your executive director has the a more direct impact on your health, your physical health and your mental health than your physician. And they're doing a deep dive into toxic cultures and what makes something toxic. And so as we're sort of getting aspirational about having healthy cultures, I really want to pitch this to Sarah and to the group is how can we go in, you know, and proactively address organizational culture as it relates to the mental health, knowing that whatever we say, do, perpetuate is going to have a lasting effect on someone's connection to our mission. Mm -hmm. I would like to say that uh, I learned the hard way, the difference between healthy confrontation and unhealthy toxicity. In the beginning, it was myself and our now program director taking the calls at 4 a.m., answering 50 emails an hour, working that and just going past, you know, the boundaries of time and, and family space and just energy and bandwidth. To where when we finally got our executive director, who's done amazing work in a very short amount of time, and she listened, she came in and she just listened. She served on our board previously, so she knew, she understood the assignment. And when we were looking for an executive director, she she stood up and said, I I think I can do this. I want, I want to do this position. I want to go to this position. But she helped us set boundaries. She helped us uh, understand the scope of what we do to clarify, to build that culture. Uh, and I looked up the definition for culture uh, before we took, got on this call. And it says, in a biology sense, to maintain conditions suitable for growth. Mm. And I love that analogy because that's what we have here. Now we have boundaries to help us have the bandwidth to serve the community that we love and their families. But confrontation uh, is something that I grew up, you never question authority and you never talked about money. That really challenged me to understand my worth uh, as a founder, as a volunteer, as a board member. And then uh, I do believe in, in confrontation and a healthy dialogue and to be able to move past that, to use it to further the mission and that it goes on beyond this phase. I could not agree more. And I want to piggyback and I want to sort of piggyback at someone who's trained as a mental health counselor, but also just someone who's led organizations and inside ecosystems where we are pushing for those who are closest to the issues to also be the ones in charge of the solution. And there is a little bit of a double bind there. There is this sort of um, romanticizing the struggle. There is a sort of praising of resilience that can backfire in ways that we don't attend to burnout. And we don't care for those who are most likely to be impacted by these audacious missions that we have. And so it is a, a call to sort of fully see 
people who are inside of our organizations, people who we are working with in community, and the cost of this. And it's not neutral. So even, and I, and I want to be, we're all family here, so I'm going to be even more intimate and give an example. There are lots of tropes that circulate like strong Black women. Right. And, and, I, and I want us to attend to this. Recently, we all saw the confirmation of Justice uh, uh, Brown Jackson. And we collectively as a country, hopefully we're very excited and very proud. And people praised her resilience under fire. That's one beautiful frame to think about. But uh, it was also a Rorschach test, if you will, because other people saw that as a type of trauma and impact that many of our employees and, and many of our friends and loved ones experience almost silently. And so when we think about um, you know, holistic well-being, including our mental health, burnout, and the like, we also um, you know, want to attend to who gets to fully show up and who bears the burden of particularly toxic uh, 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 organizations. And one of the litmus tests is whoever gets to experience the full range of emotions has the most power. Whoever has to subordinate their feelings in service of the culture has the least, right? So if there is someone in your ecosystem, in your organization, who has to manage to other people's comfort, they are disempowered in this. Uh, resilience. Um, I, there's a th this notion of a lot of us who, if, if conflict is uncomfortable, and or um, you know struggles or or holding space for discomfort is something that is uncomfortable to you, then um, oftentimes the the idea of romanticizing resilience has been a way that we rescue ourselves at, at a macro level from that conversation because it's well. Yes, I've struggled, but I've actually, I'm, I'm, I am who I am because of those struggles and those resilience. And what we do is we sweep away the conversations on struggle and discomfort that got us to that moment. And so I'm not villainizing the word resilience, but I do want to lift up what Luana is saying is that the oftentimes people who have been in um, in very difficult situations or all of us who have been in struggle have written off. Um, the seeing and the discomfort and the space that is needed for that healing by saying, well, it's built our resilience. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm guilty of that for my own self and my own healing. I'm sure a lot of us are. And so how, how do you combat that? I think it's exactly what Luana is saying is you, you get comfortable saying, okay, part of this work is that for us to have healthy cultures, for us to deliver on a mission of inequity and justice and injustice, which is not for the lighthearted or the faint hearted, um, we're going to we're going to have to come up with systems and ways to see and heal ourselves and each other as part of the work. That does not mean rescue. It does not mean comfort zone. It does not mean silence. It does not mean under the carpet. It also does not mean weaponizing. Right. There's there's other the other line. It doesn't mean excuses, weaponizing, um, playing, you know, um, motivational paycheck exchange and bartering. That doesn't mean any of that either. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to really practice having direct conversations and holding ourselves to moments of discomfort without rescuing each other. Um, if someone's crying in my office, I might even say, you know what, I really want to honor that this is hard for you. And I, I don't, the tissues are here, but I'm not trying to wipe your tears. Like I, I want to honor that if you, if you're in the space of this, right? Like how do we create disclaimers and containers to make ourselves feel a little bit comfortable to hold uncomfortable space? And the last thing I'll say is for me in my practice, what really helped was having 
having vulnerability in that. So I used to say a lot to my supervisees or wherever I was saying, you know what, I'm really trying to work on my own relationship to discomfort and conflict. So understand that my intention right now is just to hold space without trying to fix it, without trying to rescue, without, so just, just know that I'm uncomfortable in that, but I want to see you and, and I really want you to continue with where you're at. But I, I give myself a little bit of grace so that I can carry through with the intention of just holding space or with the intention of saying, let's, let's be in, in disagreement about this for another week or two or three weeks. Cause I don't know, we don't know the answer to this. Right. Um, and so I just invite you to think about what makes you uncomfortable is there something you can name about that discomfort that gets you into this conversation? Because if not, if you don't have intention or alertness around then around that, we end up saying things in well-intentioned ways on resilience around, um, we end up saying things on, um, it's okay, great, you know, head down, yeah, the job is hard. It's hard for all of us. Like we end up saying things that minimize the very things that we need to biz, build positive culture. I don't know if that's that's resonating. Just two quick comments on that. I think there's a key idea that keeps surfacing, and that is this notion that the more senior you are in the organization you lead, the more culture shaping you do. More than your specific skill, competency, ability, you might be an amazing attorney in a law firm, but if you're a senior partner or a senior leader, the culture shaping you do is contributing more to that firm than your ability to litigate or be a great lawyer. And I think often we miss that because we're all emerging out of a command and control style of leadership, which was really prevalent in the 70s and 80s and 90s. We've begun to soften it, but we haven't emerged out of that model well into a new model that makes room for vulnerability, for giving people agency, no matter where they are on the totem pole. And I think these conversations are helping develop a new model that will be as effective as command and control without abusing people's mental health, without, and I think in many ways, that's what this culture conversation is trying to do. There will still be places where command and control for the most part are necessary, the military, but 90% of organizations in the world are emerging out of that into something new, and it's largely undefined. Okay, Luan, I know you want to jump in here. We're winding out with the last two minutes, and I'd love for y'all to get a last word in here. We call it the one good thing to kind of round this out. But if you came for the culture like me, I'm like applying this to my entire life right now. <laughs> so what y'all have been sharing has been so deeply good, and your hearts are so pure for this. But Luan, I'm going to give you the chance, and we can round robin one good thing to wind this out. This panel was energizing to me, if I can just be quite honest. But I, I also believe in our ability to do this, right? So, I, so it is important to talk about the investment and work in building appropriate culture. But I don't want it to feel like this albatross or this difficult thing that cannot be endeavored. That we would have to have a perfect structure to endeavor to do. We don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good, and also we don't want past inertia to dictate what we believe is possible. Something being un, uh, unprecedented doesn't mean it's impossible. And so I hope with that ethos of what could, can occur, we, we bravely and audaciously march toward this type of future. And I will, will be the harbinger of what's at stake if we do not. We are not going to solve poverty, food deserts, you know, anti-trafficking initiatives if we are not willing to audaciously tackle these issues inside of our organizations. We cannot expect other people to do what we are too afraid to try. I'll try to riff off of Luana's wisdom. Um, 
my one good thing is is if she's talking about hey let's let's look at what the organization and the culture and how we're how we're connecting to be able to have greater impact i'll just riff and say let's go my one good thing will be your individual my call to action would be what are you can you make a list of the same intention you guys we all put at work what is our own personal list and and what my call to action would be is get very clear with yourself of your own personal vision on this world so that your work is simply in alignment to that. It's not the thing. And once you have some separation from that, it's easier to play with culture here. It's easier to make mistakes. It's easier to be like, ah, I didn't get that one right. My personal vision is so hot. There's a lot of work that needs to happen in the world. This is one strong alignment, but it's not me. We're dis- we're, we're, con- we're disconnected from each other so that we can play and develop my personal stuff and I can play and develop my organizational culture stuff. So be human, do the work and get to know yourself really well so that you can do all the things around yourself, your culture and um, community impact. And I'll pass the baton. It looks like Ted's ready. I'm going to speak to the senior leader because that's where I spend most of my life um, who might be asking themselves, yeah, this is all great, but I mean, this is more work, more time, more energy. I can barely keep the lights on. We're, we're lean, we're mean. I'm going to make the argument that if you get culture not right, because you never get it right. Culture is a tension to manage. It's not a problem to solve. By the way, there's too much of that right, wrong, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. You're always managing your culture. It's something you have to be intentional about. But if you do, you will mitigate sideways energy and drama because you'll have a culture that doesn't triangulate and that actually handles conflict better, which will allow your people to perform at a higher level take risks and innovate and stop you from losing your ass in a fast changing pace. So culture is everything about bottom line. This isn't just fluff or nice ways of being more tolerant or of all the other fancy words. This speaks to bottom line profitability, efficiency, effectiveness, donor engagement, fill in the blank. I would leave with what I've learned is when you try to make something happen, it's hard and it's upsetting and it's just really difficult. But when you consider the fruit of your work, not that everything's a party and easygoing, but you do what you're accountable to. And when you can pour into that with your colleagues, with your volunteers, with whoever is with you, with whatever you've got, and it's fruitful, it's lasting and it's empowering, then keep your focus on those things. And you'll figure it out with the people you're with and what you've got. But that is our burden. That is our joy, and it's the essence of humanity. Do that. Sarah ended with joy. And I, I want to put a pin in that because as intense as this conversation was, <laughs> I feel so much hope in it and in what is this new era that we are embarking upon. So we are winding down this conversation. I want to thank our incredible panelists. Please go find them on LinkedIn. We will link, their, their information is embedded. Please go to our website because we want this conversation to keep happening. Weareforgood.com backslash RNS. We've got resources, tips to keep going. Thank you to our audience for what you have done to come into this. Appreciate you all. We're going to take a five-minute break. So go check out the Expert Bar. Go back to the Summit Live. Take a little break, and we're going to be back here. Go find another session. Give it a little plug because we're going to take on boards next. Thank you, guys, and Godspeed. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. 
Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 Login Experience can do. Visit Auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.